Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dan Assor Show, supported by TF Connect, Tarsus Group, Terrapin and 19 Group, and the show's official venue sponsor, Carbon Neutral Conference and Exhibition Centre, BDC London, who are currently setting their sights on reaching net zero before 2030. Visit bdc.london for more information. Please check out all of my content on danassor.com and be notified first about new episodes by subscribing to my YouTube channel and by following me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify platforms. Before we talk about all things raw B2B, I'm always interested to sort of bring the individual, my guest to life that's in front of me, just sort of their background. Because I know, and we had a pre-chat, and I guess similar to me, you haven't always been in the events and exhibitions industry. I guess you're fairly new, if 10 or 11 years is new. Don't know, you can tell me, probably feels like longer. Um, can you bring your sort of background to life up until the point where you got into exhibitions? I'd just be interested to know about that. Well, funny, funny enough, we, uh, we, the one thing I didn't say to you, Dan, when we, when we met a couple of weeks ago was the first time that I got an experience of the exhibition market. My dad used to run IFSEC um, back in the day before before Blenheim acquired IFSEC back in the uh, back in the 80s. And I sold programs, would you believe, um, at the 1988 IFSEC edition um, when I was 16, the tender age of 16. So I, I sort of got the vibe and my dad ran that show at that point. So I, I, I sort of, I knew that my dad enjoyed the industry. I knew my dad um, enjoyed his career in, in the exhibition market, but, but I fell into publishing um, yeah. when I left university. So I, I, I worked at Morgan Grampian, then became Miller Freeman, um, then CMP for about six, seven years after uni yeah. uh, and a stint in Australia. Um, and then, um, then I joined Reed, Reed Business Information for a decade. Yeah. And um, I worked on titles like New Scientist, Computer Weekly, um, very successful titles. So my background was digital media publishing, if I'm being brutally honest. Sure. Um, but, I, but obviously, I, I, you know, I, I knew about the exhibition market. And obviously, being at Reed, we, we worked alongside Reed Exhibitions. So, you know, you knew of the industry, it ran sure. in parallel, and we ran events in, in that time as well. But I, I jumped into the trade exhibition business in around about a decade ago, just over a decade ago, when I, yeah. I went to work with Hugh and Mark uh, at Amargo. We effectively um, had a game plan to sell that business in a three-year project. And um, yeah, we, we eventually did to Clarion. And I, I then went over to Clarion for a couple of years and, and integrated the Imago business into Clarion, enjoyed my time there. But I always wanted to get back to doing something on my own. And the opportunity came up to, to effectively um, look at Raw and, and, and basically form Raw. Sure, thank you. And just just quick, just briefly, obviously you've obviously been in publishing and you've been in events and exhibitions. Can you draw some parallels between the two? <laughs> um, in terms of the product mix, yeah. um, there's a means to an end, right? So, so sure. I mean, you know, you're, you're you're selling an audience, whether it's online, whether it's face to face. So, I never felt the two should work in isolation. Sure. There were some at that time that wanted to keep them very much separate. But if I look back at my time when I was at Reed, if we'd put together the publishing businesses of Reed Business Information and the exhibitions, funnily enough, what we know now post pandemic, yeah, um, I think Reed would have been in a different 
a different, um, well, certainly would have a different shape, different formation. I'm, I'm absolutely certain of that. So I'm not one of these people that feels that they should work in isolation. I certainly think sure. they can work together. Raw B2B, set that up October, November 2019. I'm going to get into that. Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah. just tell me what inspired you to start the business in the first place. I, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one because I, 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 I'd seen Hugh and Mark. Hugh, for, the, for those of you who don't know, yeah. Hugh, Hugh Keeble and Mark Steele were, were quite and still are um, very notable people in the exhibition market. Most people know them, certainly if you've been in the industry for a long time. And I saw how they worked and how how they set up their business were very successful i then went into clarion and saw how simon kimball worked incredibly uh, formidable um unbelievable talent and then someone like russell uh, russell wilcox again very talented who how they ran their businesses as well and i felt that i'd learned a lot from a lot of those guys in the exhibition sector but also my publishing time as well and i just felt that there was a bit of a gap in the market I felt that I could, that I had an idea about setting up a, an events media business that, that was multi-platform. This was before COVID. Sure. Um, and at the time, if you remember, in the late 2018, early part of 2019, it was very much event-first strategies being deployed by events businesses. And I just felt that there was a bit of a gap in the market. And I felt that um, the, the contact book that I had sort of built up in terms of private equity... Um, I had an opportunity to effectively put that 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 game plan in action. So that's that's effectively was where I was at that particular point. I just felt I wanted to set up a business that had that outlook, and so that's where Raw was effectively formed and how it was formed. Sure. And then, so uh, you mentioned private equity, and it's Apri Capital, if I'm not mistaken, that um, is obviously invested within Raw. And then you took the decision to acquire Prism um, around at the end of 2019 yeah. just talk briefly about that for those that aren't aware what what were the sort of uh, events that they they ran that you took on we, we didn't um we didn't buy the whole of prism we bought three portfolios from sure from prism at that yeah. point yeah um there were the, the, we, what we wanted to do was effectively buy intersectors that we felt that had real growth over the next 10 years or so and there were three groups that, that stood out in the in the prison portfolio at the time. And that was the environment portfolio, which was headlined the RWM exhibition, which was the flagship, which is anything to do with waste management. And then we had the business technology group that we knew very well, um, call and contact center expo, B2B marketing, legal X and the like. And then obviously um, healthcare as well, which was Nadex and, um, and care. So all three sectors that, that effectively we felt at that point um, had real growth and opportunities to grow. Um, but also we felt at that point uh, recession proof or yeah. relatively recession proof, yeah. Yeah. Um, but not pandemic proof. Right. So um, so it was, it, was, it, was, it was effectively a management buyout rather than a management buy in. So um, that was in we completed in November 2019, which was effectively three, four months before the pandemic hit. Like looking back, give, give me give me a sort of overriding emotions. If you can remember, it was the, everyone that was in that that time, um, it was a roller coaster for us. Sure. I mean, there's no getting one minute you were up, one minute you were down. Um, but the the, yeah, the initial feeling, you know, when it, when when the announcement, I remember um, it was around St Patrick's Day, 
um, March 2020, around that sort of time, I remember. And um, and I went over to Excel at the same time, I think, well, around that sort of time. And I went to Cloud Expo, which was a closer still yeah. event. And I, and I felt so sorry for the closer guys. Yeah, I was running um, it. I was running it. You, you're running. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel sorry for you, Dan. Right? But, but no, no, you know what I mean. Yeah. It, it, and, I, and I always remember going into a board meeting the following week and yeah. there was a decision whether or not we were running our events, the first sure. events that we were going to run as RAW. Um, and there was no way in a million years that we could run those events after seeing Cloud. Um, and I suppose the overarching feeling that I had at that point was just fear, you know, sure. the uncertainty of the whole thing. So I, I, when I look back on it now, I, I, in a funny sort of way, um, then we went into lockdown and then we went into what I would call, and this is where, you know, our, our investors I thought were great because they settled us down and you know, they obviously have a lot of experience of, of, um, of investing in businesses and they were great and they were incredibly supportive at that time. And I think that helped us as a management team at that point. Um, but I think the overarching feeling, as I've said, I think it was just fear, uncertainty, keeping people, you know, that were working in the business on sure. an even keel. That, that was incredibly tough. Um, so, yeah, when I look back on it now, I look back on it and think, you know, there's lots, lots of walking, lots of biking at that time, if you remember, yeah, yeah. And, and watching Boris, which was a, which was funny <laughs> in its time as well. So I, I, I look back on it. And funny enough, when I look back over the period of time, 2020, where we couldn't really, we knew that we couldn't do too much at sure. that point. 21, then suddenly people started to feel that there was light at the end of the tunnel. And then we went through this real roller coaster of emotions because the market opened up again in September yeah. 21 where we could stage shows shows but it was a false dawn because we were back in lockdown in 22 and I found funny enough I found 22 the worst year because really? right it, it was like someone dangled a carrot in front of you yeah th there you go the market's back yeah. no it's not then it's back and, and it was that was tough it was uncertain um it was uncertain in terms of the behavior of exhibitors um the op, you know, the supplies to the sector were under strain. We had people that, that were jumping, particularly at a junior level, jumping from job to job. Yeah. And also we weren't guaranteed like we were before um, audience. Uh, audience um, campaigns, registration campaigns were, well, nothing short of volatile sure. um, and uncertain. So I, I, funny enough, I found certainly H1 of last year the toughest. Funny enough. Yeah, because I guess um, we can't just turn the tap on as event organisers. It takes a period of time, right? So, you know, to not have certainty, um, that that uncertainty obviously filters down to exhibitors, you know, as well as the attendees. So they're not going to commit three, six months in advance, which is what we need them to do, especially if we want them to pay, you know, a good chunk in advance. Hi, I hope you enjoyed the podcast so far. Just going to take a brief pause to tell you a little bit more about our official venue sponsor, the Business Design Centre. The BDC is London's most stylish venue, playing host to hundreds of conferences and exhibitions every year. It is also the permanent home to over 125 businesses who occupy the offices and showrooms based there all year round. Opened over 36 years ago in 1986 and formerly the Royal Agricultural Hall, the building was rescued from demolition in 1981 by entrepreneur Sam Morris and was fully restored and reopened as the UK's first integrated trade exhibition and conference complex. Today, the BDC attracts almost one million visitors every year. 
Sustainability is at the forefront of everything they do at the BDC with a goal to reach net zero before 2030. For over 13 years, it has been a certified carbon neutral venue and the steps they have taken to improve their impact on the planet have been recognised within the events industry and further. The BDC has received recognition with multiple awards, including Exhibition News CSR Award in both 2018 and 2019, and more recently, the EN ESG Award in 2022. Please visit bdc.london for more information. Now back to the podcast. Let's talk about RAW as it is is now. So you've mentioned you operate primarily in, uh, if I've got this correct, business tech, uh, social care and environment. Why those three specifically? I know you mentioned because you, you know, I did ultimately recession proof. Um, any other any other aspects of those communities that attracted you to, to invest in them? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the great thing about um, the environment space, you know, um, the, funny enough, the acquisition that we made in 21, the tail end of 21, um, which was EMG, the Let's Recycle brand. Um, you know, what, what, what we've done now is effectively the company is unrecognizable in terms of senior management yeah. um, from where it was in November 2019. Um, the business has got bigger, obviously. But the three sectors that we that we felt we've, you know, if we think about what we've done over the course of the last three and a half years is we've gone into those communities and those communities in each one of those sectors that we serve and have, have dug deeper and deeper. And that's that was always the game plan of, of, of RAW. Yeah. Um, and part of the business plan. And that, that's never going to change, in my view, because as long as I'm around, um, I've always believed that, you know, the publishing angle to, to, to running an event media business, if you like, if you think about where I've come from, is I always felt that the publishing market had to, as part and parcel of what they did, had to be part of the, a part of the community and part of the market. So I feel that we've come on, we've come on strongly in those communities uh, and the sectors that we serve, we're not we're not there yet, but we've yeah. still got we've made some we made some real progress. So I think I think looking back and what RAW does well, the three sectors that we that we are in, we feel that there's real growth as I've already mentioned. But I also feel that we've got um, we've got the people now and the product makeup that enables us to really grow and get deeper into those communities. So I, I think we've got real we've got three sectors that we can go internationally as well. Okay, and so it gives us the platform to effectively grow. Thank you, and and I obviously read on your website that one of your stated, I guess, missions is to build customer centric communities, which you've just touched upon. What do you mean by customer centric community in that regard? Well, when when you talk about you know customer first, you know one of the one of the first things that we had to do, and we couldn't stay to show for the first two years of Raw's life, was customer service. And so, you know, one of the things that I learned very well from Hugh and Mark at Amargo is around looking after customers, retention of customers, making them feel that, you know, you're in a partnership with them. Um, and, that, and that was something that was certainly embedded in me and what I learned very early on with the whole Amargo way of doing business. And we wanted to do that um, in, in, in the in the propositions that we effectively acquired sure. and we wanted to do and, and follow that blueprint. So that's what we mean by customer centric. It, it's, it's a partnership for me. It's not, um, 
you know, it's not a sort of a buzzword, customer centric. Sure. Yeah. It's a partnership. You're building partnerships. You're building relationships with, with people that enable you to, to have a longer term partnership with those people, whether it's a customer, whether it's a visitor, whether it's a supplier, whether it's an association that works alongside you. So, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's what we mean by customer centric. Sure. Thank you. And I guess you obviously have to always continuously are listening to the needs of that ecosystem of the market that you're within, right? You've mentioned some of the stakeholders. And again, lots of people I talk to and, and we read about, talk about data being at the centre of that, sort of driving uh, your decisions as to, as to what you do and how you serve that community. How does that manifest itself within RAW? So again, people I talk to say, you know, yes, they're an events or a publishing business, but actually they're a data business at the heart of it. You know, they've got pools of, pools, pools of data and, you know, they leverage the tech that's available to, to give them uh, insights into their community. Is that also what you're focusing on? Absolutely. I mean, what, so, so the, the business that I mentioned earlier, one of the acquisitions or the acquisition that we made in 21 was a business called EMG, the Environment Media Group, which, um, which stayed the Let's Recycle brand. But essentially that business was a publisher um, and still is. We haven't touched that business. Um, and that goes back to the earlier discussion that we had around multi-platform. And so for me, um, this is a virtuous circle. You, you've got a publishing business, which is at the heartbeat of the waste management industry, i.e. letsrecycle.com. Yeah. And it's churning off eyeballs and it's churning off data, which effectively can build a big foundation for the event platform. So that virtuous circle, as I talk about, is incredibly important and, and one that we want to you know, effectively promote in biz tech and in social care, healthcare, because we feel that, that strategy yeah. is going to leave us in a lot stronger place than being effectively event first. Da data obviously will be churned out off the back of decent content. Uh, and that's where I've always believed that publishing business can work alongside events. Sure. Thank you. And and just coming on to some of the, the shows, and as we've just said, we met at uh, UK Cyber Week, which uh, which was yeah. a launch, and I know also you've launched the likes of um, of Flexbo um, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, there are lots of events. Let's just talk about cyber for a minute within that market already, pre-existing ones. How do you try and ensure that your events sort of stand out in a in a crowded marketplace? What what's what sort of process do you go through maybe before you've launched it to ensure that the you're creating something a little bit different, or do you need to create something different? Maybe something similar but better again it's horses for courses yeah. but in particular with cyber cyber was we felt there's a real gap in the market you know okay. um and we've been in that sector for a long time and i've and i've been in enterprise tech media for well nearly 20 years yeah uh, whether or not it's in shows or whether or not it's in publishing so in digital media but one of the, one of the, the big things that you see um in in the cyber now it's 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 what i would call businessified businessified as someone would, would try to describe it and what i mean by that is generally speaking when we've run enterprise tech events yeah you generally are trying to go after the it department so in that particular instance we just feel that people like you and me dan um some of the some of the guys that are looking at this were are now more more interested in it and yeah. in yeah. effectively software because there is an urgent need to protect businesses and, and certainly we already talked about data so you know you're getting business people that are now have to 
be armed with information on how they're going to protect their businesses and how they're going to protect themselves individually when they're working in businesses. So we just felt there was a bit of a gap in the market and that's how Cyber Week came about. And that was just one of those instances where we've looked and looked at organically launching into a sector that we felt um, there was an opportunity. So I think to answer your question, I think we are, we're entrepreneurial. Yeah. You know, we don't necessarily have the corporate baggage where we have to go through reams and reams of business development to get an idea across. But there's obviously certain layers that you have to go through. Yeah. Um, but I, I think we do pride ourselves on the fact that we can move quickly. So, you know, for instance, cyber was was from start to finish was a 10 month process. Yeah. So in terms of concept, we then we, you know, we had to cancel the original dateline because we had a tube and train strike in November. So, you know, and we, we got a, a very good, sizable first launch out, um, which has now enabled us to go in and be quite ambitious for the next couple of years. So I think it's horses for courses, but, yeah. but generally, you know, we, we, there are plenty of ideas that guys in, in, the, um, in the raw business come to me left, right and centre about how they want to launch this and they want to yeah. launch that. So some, some we believe in, some we don't. That's sure. just the very nature well, I guess of that's entrepreneurial a- uh, thank you. I guess it's a, pos- a positive thing that people can feel that they can approach you to to discuss ideas. You know, obviously not all of them to come from yeah. issue, but you want to you want to foster that sort of entrepreneurial spirit. I guess that people can come to you and talk to yeah, them. I think it's I think it's critical in a yeah. you know, small, medium sized business like ours. It's it's going to be the lifeblood of how we grow. So um, we've got a very what I would call strong management team that that effectively are making a lot of a lot of these decisions. It's not just me. Um, you know, I'd lean on the management team that has that has changed dramatically over the course of the last three years. We brought in Rob Moat, who was the owner of um, of EMG, um, Lucy Howard, who's our marketing director. So there's a, there's a number of what I would call key management stakeholders that that um, look at a number of different ideas to to bring forward and organically launch. Sure, and and the shows themselves, again, people I speak to say there's definitely been a a step change to what you know, attendees and exhibitors expect and want um, sort of pre and post pandemic? Uh, or do you see them as basically the same, you know, networking, content, doing business? Uh, have you have you seen a shift in what people are telling you what they want specifically from the events? Yeah, I, I think there's been a shift. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think anyone that's anyone that's painting a picture that everything's just like it was. Yeah, I think um, personally, that's just my own opinion. I think they're wrong. I think things have changed. I think um, working patterns, working behaviour has changed. People are working obviously more more remotely than they ever did uh, pre-pandemic. Sure. And I think it, I think it is harder to get people to events. Um, so content is key. Um, making sure there's a real need for someone to come out of their home. Let's say they're working from home to yeah. come to Excel, NEC, Olympia, wherever it is. Uh, there's got to be a real need and I think you've got to work harder. And so I've certainly noticed that um, you have to pedal harder and I've yep. seen that in our marketing teams. And we've, you know, considering that we only have been running events in the past two years, we've done, a, I think, Nadex is on its third edition and it's it's been very noticeable that when you look at your tracking of those three editions since yep. Raw took over, the first one was in September 21. The, the second one was in July 22. And we've literally just done the third edition in raw ownership um, in March uh, 23. So there, there was effectively three editions in 18 months and every show has got better. Sure. And so 
you know, you've, you've learned a hell of a lot on that journey, but certainly um, we've had to pedal harder. Um, so I, I definitely think there's a, there's a, there has been a shift without question. Yeah. I think also as well, especially for free to free to attend events, you know, gone are the days where people would sign up six months ago and you could possibly rely on them to attend. Um, now you've, yeah. got to work, you've got to work even more harder to keep that communication and engagement consistent throughout that period whether it's three months, six months, you have to continuously, you know, as you said, remind them of the reasons of the benefits of, of coming and what they're going to do there. Uh, and I guess technology as well can help. Um, there's been obviously a plethora of event tech. I'm not talking about virtual event tech. Um, is that something you've embraced generally in terms of new technologies and innovations in the business to enhance the attendee and exhibitor experience? Yeah, I, I think there has been a level of... of um, technology that's, that we've embraced. I think yeah. we've been very fortunate, particularly in the environment um, portfolio, that we've got a publishing business or digital media business that backs backs our marketing campaigns up. Sure. So, um, and that's going to be the game plan for our other um, uh, portfolios as well. So, uh, absolutely. I, 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 I think that, you know, it depends on the sector you serve. I mean, you think about the three sectors that we serve, you know, in, in business tech, you know, you can introduce as much tech as you like because you're effectively preaching to the converted, right? Um, but in the environment space, a fairly traditional market and sector, um, you know, there is, a, there is a different need. So I do think it's horses for courses, but to answer your question, without question, I think that there's going to be, I, I continually think that the, 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 the sector will, have, um, there'll be an evolution, a constant evolution of different thinking. Um, and I think that's healthy yeah. because I, I do believe that before the pandemic, I think we, we took a lot for granted in the sector. I think when we look back and we did, we, I think we, we got a bit complacent. Yeah. And so there was one good thing to come out of the pandemic. I think that it's, it's maybe up to all our games. Sure. Just, just turning to acquisitions and I guess just from a general perspective, and obviously you've been involved in, in acquisitions, uh, for people that are listening, um, just talk to me briefly about the sort of process. You know, what sort of things do you look for when you're looking to acquire a business? You know, whether it's maturity, the management team, is it just about the numbers? Is it a combination of factors? Numbers are important. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, you know, the synergy with the sector, you know, is key. You know, when we looked at the EMG acquisition, it was a no-brainer for us. Sure. It just sat very nicely with us and the, and the number of opportunities that we're looking at at the moment. There's obvious um, synergistic opportunities that you look at and go, that makes obvious sense. But funny enough, the things that I look to is is you, know, you look at the people that you can work with as well. I think that's yeah. I think that's crucial. And and you know I look at Rob Moat who joined us, and Rob's been fantastic. You know he's run his own business for twenty years. He's now a fellow director at Raw. Um, you know he, he's been uh, he's been in the integral piece of the jigsaw in terms of integration with Raw. Um, so you, you do look for people that, yeah. that, without question. If you think that people you can work with people, if you think those people can integrate within Raw, um, have the same sort of outlook. You know, I, I tend to look at people probably more than I should. If I'm being brutally honest, I think um, um, you know I, I, I pride myself on that this is a people-based business. So um, I definitely think that that's a that's a key ingredient. Thank you, and that sort of is a nice segue onto. My next topic, which is about um, talent within the industry uh, and, and obviously within within Raw. Um, 
In terms of the types of roles, disciplines, responsibilities that you're now looking to take on and maybe have taken on, you know, post pandemic, and we've mentioned, you know, data central. So you could say, well, actually, then I need, you know, more technical people. Um, uh, what have you seen that change? Just just talk to me about the evolving maybe needs. I mean, you're always need salespeople, yes. You're always need marketing people, but maybe you need sales and marketing people that got diff slightly different experience, not just events and exhibitions. Just give us a flavour of your thinking in that regard. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, when we were at Amargo, we had the same feeling. We always went for effectively, when I was when I was MD at, at, at Amargo, I always went for people that were in publishing, whether they were in a marketing discipline or a, or a sales discipline, because I felt that at that time they had a more of a, multi-platform outlook sure and so you know their skill set was different at that particular point i think that gap's closed i think now that you know you, you're, you're seeing some of the big organizers now taking on people that perhaps have got a different skill set skill yeah. sets um i certainly seen that um in our own business um you know like for instance lucy who's who's, who's heading up our marketing teams um she doesn't just have mainstream exhibition experience she has what yeah. i would call media experience so I, I definitely have seen the shift. Yeah. Um, one of the big, the, one of the big areas. I'm sure you're going to pick this up, but one of the big things that I really quite close to my heart is, is I think the events industry and the media industry are doing ourselves a disservice at the moment because we need to get younger people involved in this sector. It's a yeah. great sector to work, right? And we we at Raw have, have realised that that there is not perhaps the younger people, whether it's Brexit, whether it's um, whether it's got out of vogue, these sectors have got out of vogue, whatever it is, whether it's the pandemic, it was a mixture, a combination of all three. Um, there is a real need for um, the events and media industries to reach out to the younger generation to bring them through and say, this is a great industry to work in. You know, this, this is this is great. You can you can carve out a very, very successful yeah. career in these sectors. And um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of work with some of the local schools here in, in Southwark um, and some of the universities as well to try and get graduates and younger people to come into our business at an early age um, when they're leaving school or when they're leaving university. And I think that's a major issue for the business, uh, for, for not for us, but also for the, for the sector. So I think your question is right. But I also believe that, that there are some urgent needs in terms of talent acquisition. Yeah, and to be honest, you know, when I started this podcast two and a half years ago, people be telling me the same ever since. Um, yeah. I still get the impression there's not enough joined up thinking. You know, I get the impression, you know, people run their own graduate schemes. They do what you've just said, you know, tie up with local universities and stuff. But industry-wide, I can't help but think that there needs to be more joined up thinking, whether that's led by an industry association or, you know, a... a I don't like the word steering group because it sounds quite <laughs> dull and dry and sometimes I don't tend to do anything, but you get one. I just think there needs to be, you know, some, some more joy. Would you agree with that in terms of, you know, totally. so, so I, I, I think everyone's got their day jobs, right? Yeah. And so sure. I get it. Um, but yes, I, I think that there, there is an urgent need. I really do. I, I think that, um, you know, you, I think about the career that I've had, um, and I wouldn't have said that I had the best education in the world. I, 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 I gained a degree, a very low-level degree at that. But um, what was it in? You know, what was really it in? Fun. What was it in? 
business studies, as it always was. In, in, you know, in, I did, in, I did in history. I did history. Well, really? Well, there you go, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I look back, you know, and I think, I think to myself, I, I've really enjoyed my career. Sure. You know, I've, I've loved it. Really, I've had some great times, and and I and I don't see that changing for people coming into the industry. So, so I'm, I'm with you. If you know there, there is um there's probably a central way of looking at this, whether or not it's some of the um you know when I think about some of the online publishers that I I spoke to previously, or whether it's the AEO or sure. you know some of the some of the some of the magazines or whatever, it's um it's definitely needed. Definitely yeah. needed. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that's one issue. Another that people talk to me about is sustainability. And whether the, yeah. whether the events industry uh, is doing enough, it'd be remiss of me as a leader of a, an events business or a business that runs events, shall I say, um, not to ask you about how you think we're doing and whether what else we could be doing to improve in that area. Yeah, it's 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 a it's an incredibly tricky one. I I, I was with um, a friend over the weekend who completely operates a business in a different sector, and in every business every sector that, that people are working in, there's a need to do more without question. We know that. And I think there is this move that, you know, in the next decade in particular, and maybe after the next general election, there is going to be even more emphasis on businesses to become carbon neutral on what they do. Um, so, you know, of course, the obvious the obvious answer to your question is, yes, we need to do more. Yeah. But I totally get it um, that, you know, perhaps people have to balance up trading with, you know, the needs of being, you know, net zero, carbon neutral, whatever, whatever the term may be. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we, we've placed a lot of emphasis on our environmental ESG policies. Um, you know, we split it up into, you know, what we call sustainability, the environmental side of sustainability, but also the social and community side of things as well. So there's two aspects that we concentrate quite, quite heavily on. And I, and I, it's interesting now that, you know, if you think about post general election 24, which I'm presuming is going to be the next general election, whoever gets into power at that particular point, um, I think it's been pushed down the road a bit at the moment, but I think it's going to come that every business will be be responsible for its footprint. Um, So we're getting ready for that. We understand that, you know, running a show, there is, there's a lot of carbon miles that's that's associated with setting up a show and there's a lot of um, equipment. There is a lot of um, products that are used. Um, whether they're recycled or not remains to be seen. I think yeah. there's, there's, there's a question mark about, about our recycling credentials, shall we say? Sure. So I think that, you know, more and more that we look at it, I think there's going to be more burden placed on event organisers going forward. So it's not going to go away. Yeah. It is going to come probably, there's going to be more emphasis placed post-general election next year. So we, we've done as much as we think we can at this particular point, but we certainly need to to do more. And I think the industry as a whole probably needs to do more. That's a, that's a, I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think I concur. I mean, ultimately, habits are changed either typically by an incentive or a disincentive, i.e. carrot or stick, or probably combination of. But uh, so I think you're right. There's obviously legislation will come in as well. Uh, but also there are definitely commercial advantages of, of, of doing it, right? And, Absolutely, and, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. Um, Final sort of topic, uh, I want to talk about the role, because I'm very privileged to sit in people like yourselves, the role of a CEO. Um, and uh, how, how do you go about um, establishing a sort of positive culture? We, we've, we've spoken about the entrepreneurial culture. 
uh, and obviously people come into your ideas. That's not without its challenges as well, because people also need to get on and do their do their thing day to day. Um, but you as a, a leader of a business of, of your size and where you're at at the moment, um, how, how do you go about doing that, establishing a positive culture? Um, it's a, it's a, what a, what a, what a million dollar question that one is, right? So, um, you know, I, I think, um, just going, going back one step, yeah. a CEO in quotes, managing director, yeah. director, whatever, whatever you like to call. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, my job description would be different to, um, say someone like Russell or Lisa, for instance, at Clarion. Yeah. You know, Clarion is, is obviously a huge business now sure. compared to what Raw is, right? So the the, the skill set needed to run, you know, Lisa's brief, running something like Lisa Hannett's brief to, to run Clarion is obviously different to mine. So, yeah. um, but for me, you know, talking about me, how do I create a positive culture? I, I, I have, I place a lot of emphasis on loyalty. Um I've got some people that work that work with me for a long time that have come with me to Raw. Sure. Um, but also, I've brought in people into the business that I haven't worked with before, who who I I gel with um, that offer something different, and I think that they share the same outlook that I do, which is we do put people first here. We do want people to enjoy their time at Raw. Um, we do offer. I would say probably a more flexible approach to working than perhaps others in the industry. So um, I think all these things that we look to do, we tend to try and put our people first. We've obviously had issues with with people uh, job hopping, shall we say, uh, certainly at a junior level. Um, I think that's going to be the case for, for, for the foreseeable future, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But I, I do believe that people that have left RAW have enjoyed their time at RAW um so that's one of the things and one of the legacies that you know that i i want to look back on with raw and that was why one of the reasons i wanted to set up a business i want people to enjoy their work i think you once you enjoy your work you're going to be more successful you're going to go that extra yard and so i think that creates um a positive outlook sure and so and a positive um feeling within the business um and i don't think you can force the issue either that's the other thing you know, there are there's plenty of examples of organisations that try and force, yeah. um, you know, positivity down employees' necks, and it, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. So, um, I think I think management have got to buy in. So, it's a difficult one to answer, but uh, you know, the, the proof in the pudding is to speak to people that work at Raw, you know, and, and see what they say. You yeah. know, um, yeah. Well, there's some out there who criticise <laughs> me and say that I'm. Maybe I'll do that. that. Maybe I'll do that. Okay. Yeah, but generally speaking, <laughs> you know, I look out. I'm looking out of my, you know, looking out of the office now, and, yeah. and you know, there, there seems to be a nice vibe. There seems to be a positive yeah. vibe, and, a, and and I think that breeds success. Sure. And what about yourself? You know, you're, you're the leader of the business. Uh, who motivates the motivator? <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I, I've. I can't deny it. I love it. Yeah. You know, I, 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 um, I've loved my career. I've loved, of course, I would have done things differently looking back sure. and whatever. And I would have certainly done things differently over the course of the last three and a half years. Um, but, but I, I've loved it and I wouldn't have changed it for the world, you know? Um, so, so the motivation for me is, is learning, is trying to learn all the time. Um, 
And funny enough, we, we, we were talking about this, um, a couple of the guys here in my chair, we were talking about, um, you know, what we did over, over, um, over COVID. And the interesting thing was, was that I never listened to podcasts, right? I, I, ne- I never used to read books yeah. around yeah. You know, this ideology or the way of doing business or business styles or whatever. But one of the things that happened in COVID was that I was walking around my local village with a podcast, yeah, high performing yeah. podcast, yeah, yeah. Diary of the CEO. And I started listening to people that I would never have dreamt of listening to yeah. previously. And that's opened my eyes as well. So I think my motivation comes from the fact that um, I've probably embraced differences post pandemic as well. I've tried to change the way that I feel I'm still traditional in a lot of respects, you know, I, I still like coming to the office. Right. Yeah. But I understand now that there are yeah. there's different ways of working and, and I've got to embrace that. It's a, it's, it's a difficult one, Dan, but I'm getting, I, there, I, right? I, I'm so, with uh, you. I'm with you. You know, old habits die hard. Um, but exactly that. you know, so, we need to adapt, right. As individuals, you know, at all levels. Yeah, you do. And, and, and it was interesting that, you know, that, um, I, I certainly feel that, um, I've changed. Um, I've certainly changed in the last decade from the guy that walked into Amargo um, to the guy that I am now. And, and God, I mean, the guy that I was when I first walked into Morgan Grampian and got my first managerial job when I was 25, my God, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing like that. I'm, I, would hate, I would have hated that guy, you know? So yeah. I think that, you know, you, you change, don't you? You, you, you? you get experience and that motivation of, of getting, trying to get as best as you possibly can out of your career is, is probably the big motivational factor that I have that's driving me. Sure. And I'm trying to make Raw as successful as it can be. Well, I was going to ask my final question. If you came back, I mean, God forbid I was still doing this in four years, but if, 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 we, if, we, if we had a chat in 2027, um, what does Raw look, what, what's, what's, what's success look like over the next few years, rolling forward for Duncan and the business? Well, obviously, we want to grow. I mean, yeah. it was always this. This business was always, or this this plan was always. This was a platform to build, and and organic launches and acquisitions were always part of the makeup. So, in twenty seven, what are we talking? Four years time. I would hope that this big this business will be considerably bigger. Um, it would have um, branched out internationally. Um, we would have got deeper into our sectors. But most importantly, we wouldn't have lost sight of the fact that we want our people to enjoy working here at Raw sure. and carving out successful careers. The, the other thing that's really close to my heart, Dan, is I've already touched on already, which was, is bringing people into the business um, at a young age. And I'm, I'm really, really keen on, on and that's one of my, my big things at the moment, is social mobility and, yeah. and trying to get younger people into, into this business and the sector. Yeah. So I would hope that in 27, I would see more young people coming into the business as, as they are at the moment or they're not at the moment. And so, yeah, there's a number of things, obviously bigger. Yeah. Um, we've grown, we've got deeper into our sectors, we've become integral in our communities. And, and more importantly, we've got um, lots of people that want to join us. And I think that will be the test of, of the business sure. when, when you come back to talk to me in 27. <laughs> Look forward to it. Thank you. And and any anyone that's listening, uh, young or not young, um, equal opportunities, and they're interested in uh, maybe working with you guys, I guess they should check out your website, check out your LinkedIn, see what opportunities. And I guess you're all always open for speculative approaches as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I you know know where we are. Uh, RawB2B.com. Yeah. Um, 
I'm more than happy to talk and talk to anyone that has ideas or, or wants to come and join us. So, yeah, feel free. Perfect. Thank you so much for giving up your time today, Duncan. Wish you the very best of luck for the future. Thanks, Dan.